Hey, what's up? How y'all doing? Hey, this is what I want you to do now, and I understand I'm going to just knock some of you out of the park right at the beginning, but I want y'all to move down front. If you're back in the back, I want you to come down front. There's plenty of vacant seats. Even if you're halfway back, if you can see like 25 seats in front of you, which all of y'all in the middle section can, I want you to move down, fill in. And let me tell you why. I haven't done this in a long, long time. I'm going to let you get moved, and then I'll tell you why I'm doing it, okay? And I know there's some of you that are just stubborn, and you're dadgum not going to move no matter what. That's all right. I'm cool with that. All right, let me tell you why I did that. Um, I really, really believe, and this, is, this has nothing to do with who I am. This has nothing to do with my ability to, to speak. But I really believe that what we talk about today can be life-changing for you. And, and, I, and I believe it can be life-changing for those of you. Some of you come to church every week. You were raised in church. Your mama had you in church nine months before you were born, and that's all you know. But you can still be there every week and miss out on what it really means to be saved, what it really means to have accepted Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about God saves. We've been doing this series for the last few weeks uh, since the beginning of March called Him, and it's all about God and who God is. And the fact that, that God is supreme and that everything is about Him, the fact that you exist as a human being, the fact that you can breathe and think and blood can flow through your veins and your heart continues to pump, that is solely because of who God is and because God chose to make you. And the fact that you're still here is because God has chosen to allow you to still be here and He hasn't snuffed out your life yet. And that everything that, that we look at, everything that we are, it all comes from Him. And so that one of the things that, that we've talked about this whole, this whole month is that, that God was here first, then God created everything, and then we came along and we sinned and we messed things up and then God had to judge us. And now we want to move to the finish of the story, the completion of the story. And, and, and Donnie did a, a fantastic job last week talking about the fact that God judges. And, and, and he talked about the fact that all of us have sinned. Now, now sin is a, a word that, that's not popular today. And that's a word that some people don't like to use. But the truth of the scripture is, the truth of the Bible is, is that we've all sinned. And we all continue to sin. And, and sin, what it means is we've rejected God. And you might say, wait a minute, Cliff, I know I've some, done some bad things, but I've never rejected God. If you've sinned, that means you've rejected the way God wants you to live. Therefore, you've rejected God. Did you know the Bible says that, that you're not supposed to look lustfully at a woman? That that's a sin? So guys, all of you are guilty of sin, right? And, and also, the Bible says that you're not supposed to gossip and you're not supposed to covet and want the stuff your neighbor has. I'm not, I don't want to be sexist, but ladies, I think that covers the rest of y'all too. So, so I, think we're, you know, I think we're all there. The, the scripture says that all of us have sinned. And, and what Donnie talked about last week, he did such a good job talking about this, and somehow he put it in a positive light, which was awesome, is that, that God has to judge sin. And, and the judgment for sin is death. That someone has to die for sin. Blood has to be shed to cover sin. And, and so, so if we had stopped 
the, the message, and, and, and if, if God had stopped the, 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 the story of who he was with, with just his judgment, it would kind of be like, uh, kind of be like when I went to see Empire Strikes Back when I was like uh, 11 years old or 10 or whenever that came out. And, uh, and I know some of you are like, what, what's, what's he talking about? But in, in the Star Wars, there's, there was three original Star Wars movies before they made the three that really came before the next three, which is kind of confusing. But, but the second one is called The Empire Strikes Back. And in The Empire Strikes Back, at the end of that movie, uh, um, uh, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite and Lando Calrissian has lost the cloud city to the Empire. Luke Skywalker is minus one hand and he's just found out that his dad is the most evil dude in the whole galaxy. That's a bad day for anybody right there. And then at the end of that, the movie ends. That was it. And we all went home. And, and we didn't get the sequel till like three years later, where now you get the sequel like six months later. But if the story had ended with Empire Strikes Back, that would be bad news. But of course, the, the, the movie ended, but the story didn't end, because then you had Return of the Jedi, and everybody was happy, and you had little teddy bears running around, and all that kind of stuff. And so, so thankfully, the story of what God is doing with us didn't end at judgment. See, the story of God began with Him. Which, which means it's always been, way before us. And then the story went to where he created us. And, and then the story began to be about his relationship with us. And then the story went to where we sinned and God has to judge sin. And that's where we ended last week. And today we're going to talk about the completion of that story, where God can make everything right. And so today we're going to talk about God saves. Last week was God judges. The week before was God creates. Today we're going to talk about God saves. Now, uh, one of the things that, that Donnie touched on last week is that in, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, so before, before Jesus came, in the Old Testament, there was this thing that, that people had to live under called the law. And if you've ever read your, your Bible, I don't, I don't know how many, I, I won't make you raise your hands, but if you've ever read the entire Old Testament, the first five books... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those first five books, those cover, it covers the story of creation, and then it begins to cover what's called the law. And if you've ever tried to read that, you know that the law was pretty extensive. That, that the law covered everything about life. The law told you when you could work, what kind of work you could do. It told you how you were supposed to prepare your food, what kind of food you were supposed to eat, what kind of food you weren't supposed to eat. It had extremely detailed instructions about, about religion and about how you were supposed to worship and practice religion. And it was all of these rules and regulations that it was impossible for people for people to remember. And here's what you need to understand. When Jesus showed up, so Jesus is born in a stable in Bethlehem, and, and, and when he gets to be 30 years old, he starts to teach, and he gathers these guys around him. And when Jesus begins to teach and, and talk and that kind of stuff, you need to understand that the people that were, that were Israelites, that were Jews, they had been living according to the law, now get this, for 40 generations. For, not 40 years, 40 generations. Now, I started thinking about this. I, I thought about three generations back in my family. So that would have been my great-grandparents, right? My parents would be one generation back. Grandparents would be two generations. Three generations back, my great-grandparents. None of them, only one of them was ever alive when I was, I was born in 1969, and all of them were gone except for one. I had a great-grandmother still alive who lived till I was about six or seven years old. And so for my great-grandparents, 
Think about how they used to do things when they were my age or when they were in their 20s or 30s and how different it is to, to what I do today. I wake up in the morning, and when I want to adjust the climate in my house, there's this magic box on the wall, and I go and I press that thing up or down, and it gets warmer or colder in the house based on what I do there. My great-grandparents, great when they woke up and they wanted to adjust the climate, they went and chopped some wood and put it on the fire or either opened windows and prayed that a breeze would come along. Now, if, if I want to eat some meat, I go down to Quality Foods and I walk in there and I buy the meat and it's all neatly already uh, packaged on styrofoam trays and wrapped in plastic and I take it home and I was going to say I put it in the oven but I don't do that. My, my beautiful wife, I'll give it to her and she'll put it in the oven which is, which is controlled by natural gas, comes into a pipe in our house, you know, magically. Or sometimes she'll put it in a crock pot and plug it into an outlet where electricity flows and, and we'll have meat that night for supper. My great-grandparents, if they wanted to eat meat for supper, they had to buy a calf. They had to feed it for 12 to 14 months. They had to slaughter it. They had to butcher it. Then they had to uh, uh, preserve the meat the best way they could. Then they had to build a fire on the wood-burning stove in their house. And then they had to prepare that meat like that. You talk about just so different. And I could go on and on about how different things are today than they were just three generations ago. But now get this. The Jews that were alive during Jesus' day they had been preparing their food. They had been practicing their religion, going to the temple, all that kind of stuff. They had been living their life, working uh, under the same rules that their grandparents had done 40 generations before. Their great, 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 count up to 40 grandparents. That's how things had been forever and ever and ever. So when Jesus showed up, they, they, were, they were living under this law and it was all they knew. They were used to it. They might not have liked it, but that, but that was what they were doing. They were used to it, and that's what they lived under. Now, let me, let me ask you this, and, and you might not know the answer, but did, did God put the law in place just to give people a bunch of stuff to try to remember? Did he put the law in place because he said, yeah, I'm going to make life really difficult on these people because I don't like them very much, and I want to see if they're really going to pay attention to all these little minute details. The reason God put the law in place was not that. God put the law in place so that it would point them to the one who would come one day and rescue them from the law. Now get this. All of the Jews talked about and looked forward to the coming of someone that they called the Messiah. Now the Messiah means God's anointed one. And they were, they were all raised to talk about one day the Messiah is going to come. And the Messiah was going to rescue them from the law. The Messiah was going to come because he was going to be the one who could fulfill all of the law. He could keep all of those rules where none of them could. He was going to come and he was going to be the embodiment of the law. And so he was going to come and he was going to rescue them from that law. But something happened along the way with the Jews. See, the Roman Empire came in and took over and, and made life very difficult for them. So all of a sudden they began to think, you know what the Messiah is going to do? He's not going to rescue us from the law. He's going to rescue us from the Romans. The Messiah is going to be like the perfect Republican presidential candidate is what he's going to be. Y'all aren't laughing at that, but that's what, that's what a lot of us think. A lot of us as Christians think, hey, this guy's a Republican and he's white and he looks like me and he's against abortion. That's God's man for the president. He's going to rescue America. 
God's not going to send a Republican candidate to rescue America any more than he sent a, a Republican candidate to rescue the Jews. What, what America needs is to be rescued by Jesus, and it's exactly what the Jews needed was to be rescued by Jesus. They didn't need to be delivered from the, from the Romans. They needed to be delivered from the judgment of God. And the judgment of God was made clear to them day after day with the law. What they were supposed to be remembering when they had to prepare their food a certain way, when they had to, when they had to go once a year and take a, take a perfect lamb or perfect goat or something to the temple and have the, have the priest slit its throat and all the blood drained out and all that stuff, what they were supposed to be remembering then was not, man, it's bad to be under the Roman rule of government. What they were supposed to be remembering is, this is the judgment of God. This is why we're having to do this. This is, this is supposed to be reminding us that God is a God who judges and we need to be rescued from the judgment of God. And just like they need to be rescued from the judgment of God, so do we. So the, what did Jesus do when Jesus came? Well, the first thing Jesus did is Jesus took mankind from law to gospel. Jesus took mankind from law to gospel. Are, we, are, are the slides not in there today, Mills? Or am I, am I messed up? Okay. Well, y'all are going to need your Bibles in a minute, and you're really going to have to read them because for some reason they're not coming up on the uh, screen. Is it up there now? Okay, good. All right, sorry about that. Um, now, I want you to get your Bibles. I want you to open them to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And then I want you to also flip back to the, to the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 12 and just hold your finger there. In Exodus chapter 12, we're going to get there in just a minute. But Jesus took mankind from the law to the gospel. Mills, I know what the problem is now. This, this sucker here isn't, I can't see him on here, so that's, that's my issue. So I'm trusting my man, Tracy Miller, back there that he's got stuff on the screen behind me, and I will not ask him again about that, all right? Jesus took mankind from the law to the gospel. Now, here's what you need to understand about when Jesus showed up. I told you just a second ago that the Jews had been doing things the same way for 40 generations, right? Now, when Jesus showed up, he did everything in a way that they didn't like. First of all, he was born in the wrong place. The Messiah wasn't supposed to be born in a barn, right? Uh, he, was, he, he healed people on the wrong day of the week. You know, you're not supposed to heal people on, on the Sabbath. Everybody knows that, right? If you've got the gift of healing, you're supposed to use that Monday through Friday and then on Sunday, but not on the Sabbath, not on Saturday. You can't heal people on Saturday, right? So they didn't like that at all. They didn't like the fact that the people he healed were, were people who were poor and down and out, and they said those people needed to be healed because they deserved to be in that situation. God doesn't want to heal those people. Why are you healing them? And so Jesus did all this kind of stuff that made him mad. And then when he started teaching, boy, then he really made him mad. Because he called the, the priests and, and the Jewish leaders, he called them things like uh, vipers and snakes and whitewashed tombs and, and uh, basically just called them a bunch of religious idiots is what he was doing. And they didn't like that one bit. So Jesus shows up and he's doing everything different than what they think it should be done. So they didn't understand that he was the Messiah. They didn't understand what he was trying to do, so they're still holding on to the law. Because remember, they thought the Messiah was going to come in and kill Caesar and take over and set up a Jewish form of government, and they were going to get to be uh, slave owners over the Romans who, who had held them under oppression all these years. So Jesus shows up and he changes everything. And everything Jesus did led to what? It was We celebrated at Easter. What did Jesus do? He died on a what? Cross. And then what happened after he was dead? What happened on Sunday morning? What happened? 
He resurrected. He came back to life, right? And everything Jesus did was leading to those moments. But the night before Jesus was crucified, he made a shift in the thinking of the disciples that changed everything. And I want you to look at it. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28, says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, what do we normally call this today? If you grew up in church, answer out loud. What do we call this? The Last Supper or Lord's Supper, right. Now, we call it the Last Supper because it literally was the Last Supper that Jesus would eat before he was crucified. And so, so uh, that, that's why we call it that. But now, the disciples that night didn't get together and say, hey, check it out, come over, we're going to have the Last Supper with Jesus. Because they didn't know what all was going to happen next. Even though Jesus had been telling him, hey, the time's coming, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again. They had been telling that stuff, but it was just going right over their heads. And, and so, so they got together that night, and you know what they thought they were celebrating? They were thought they were celebrating a Jewish holiday called Passover. Now, Passover was, was an extremely important holiday for the Jews. In fact, it was the biggest of all Jewish holidays. It would be kind of like what Christmas is for us today as followers of Jesus because we make a big deal out of Christmas. They made a big deal about Passover. So, so when Jesus, when they're eating there together, and, and, and in verse 28 when Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, those, that, that, those terminology, words like blood, and covenant, and poured out for many, all that kind of stuff, that was familiar talk to them. It wasn't like they were understanding what was going on, like, hey, Jesus is doing something different here. To them, they were just celebrating the Passover, because the story of the Passover was all about blood, and it was all about God uh, uh, saving people. And so let, let, me, let me go back just a minute and help you understand what the Passover is all about. If you've got your Bibles, look in Exodus 12, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few verses there in just a minute. Exodus 12, we'll start with verse 5. But here's the story so that you know, and some of you might know this, but, but let me review it. The Israelites were slaves in a place called Egypt, right? And so they had been there for a long time, and they were slaves, and God raises up this guy named Moses. So Moses comes along, and God says, him, says to him, listen, Moses, you're the guy that's going to lead my people out of slavery. You're going to rescue them. I'm going to use you to do that. And so God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh. He was the leader of Egypt. Go to Pharaoh and tell him that you're leaving, you're taking all the, the Jews with you. So, so Moses starts doing that. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, check it out, Pharaoh, we're getting out of here. I'm taking all of these million people and we're leaving and you're just going to have to deal with it. So Pharaoh says, no, you can't go, I'm not letting you go. So what did God start doing? He started sending plagues, right? He started doing things like making frogs cover the whole, the whole place. Everywhere you look, there were frogs. Then he did gnats, and he, he just did all these different things. And so, so after every time there was a plague, Moses would go back and say, hey, you see what God did? Are you going to let us go now? And at first, Pharaoh said, no way, you're not leaving. Then Pharaoh got to where he started saying, yeah, go ahead and go. I'm tired of this stuff. I woke up this morning. I had sores from head to toe. Get out of here. I don't want y'all here. And then at the last minute, he would change his mind and say, no, 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 
y'all, y'all can't leave, and he'd send out his army to get them, and they'd all have to come back. And so this went on and on for, for ten different plagues. And then the Scripture says that after God had had enough of all that, he tells them that he won't, he tells Moses and Aaron, that's his, Moses' brother, he says, tell everybody that's an Israelite family, tell them to go and get a lamb. And then I want you to do what I tell you to do after this. And look at verse 5. This is what he said to do with the lamb. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Now, the fact that they had to be perfect without a defect on it is important. And then he says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. What did we say last week when Donnie talked about judgment? What is the payment for sin? What is the judgment of God for sin? It's death, right? So these, these lambs, innocent lambs, without, without a defect, the, the most beautiful one that they had in their herds had to be taken, and then they had to be slaughtered at twilight. And then look at verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So they're going, to have a, they're going to have a lamb dinner that night. And whatever you have with lamb. Macaroni and cheese and corn on the cob. I don't know what they ate with it. But they were going to have lamb. And, but, the, but the big point was, you're not just going to eat this lamb. After you slaughter it, you're going to take blood. And you're going to wipe it on the door frames of your house. Now listen, if you grew up in church, you've heard this story a lot. And you, that might sound normal to you now. This was not normal. That never before had God said to them, take some blood and just wipe it on your house. Act like you're painting with it and just paint blood on the door frames of your house. God had never told them to do anything like this before. So this was extremely abnormal. And so then look and see what happens. Look at Exodus 12, skip to verse 12. Exodus 12, 12 and verse 13. It says this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. What is the judgment of God for sin? It's death. And God's going to bring death. He was bringing judgment on those people who worship the gods of Egypt. I'm going to kill the firstborn in every single household. And then in verse 13, it says this. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. That's where the term Passover comes from. When they celebrated Passover, they were celebrating the fact that when God came and he started taking out the firstborn of every house in Egypt, he passed over the homes of the Israelites that had the blood on the doorframe. So what happens? So the next morning, Moses and Aaron and all the Israelites wake up and they're screaming and wailing throughout Egypt from one border to the next because every single house Every single Egyptian household had someone dead in it when they woke up the next morning. Can you imagine if that happened in America? Can you imagine what CNN and and Fox News and everything else, how long that would be on TV if every single household, except some weird people who had painted blood on on the outside of their house, every single one had someone dead in the house when they woke up one morning. And so this was a huge event. So what happens is, when that happens, Pharaoh says, get out of here, I'm, you know, I don't want you in here anymore. And they escape, and then he chased them later, and then God killed the whole army by making an ocean fall on them, which was awesome. But the, but the point is, 
is that it was the judgment of God that came on the, on the Egyptians and it was the blood on the doorpost of the house that saved the Israelites. Now notice this. Go back to Matthew 26, 28. So that's what, the, that's what the Jews, that's what the disciples were celebrating that night. That's what they thought they were celebrating. But Jesus was changing it. Because look what he said in verse 26, 28. He says this. This is, read it with me, this next word is two letter, two letter word. This is what? My. Say it with me again. This is my blood of the covenant. Do you see the difference here? Jesus didn't say, this is the blood of a lamb, some other lamb. He didn't say, this is the blood of a lamb that you've been celebrating your whole life. In fact, it's been celebrated for generations before you got here. He said, this is my blood. What Jesus was saying was, is that now he was changing things from law to what we call gospel, which means good news. He was changing it from now you don't have to take a lamb to the temple to atone for your sins anymore. Jesus said, I am the new and final Passover lamb. Jesus is the new and final Passover lamb. Now, why is that important? Well, to help you understand that, I want to tell you about Egg McMuffins. Um, I love Egg McMuffins. I love Egg McMuffins. And I don't eat Egg McMuffins very often. The reason why is, is because, one, I don't like to spend money when I have breakfast food to eat at home that we've already paid for. Two, I don't want to weigh 500 pounds. That's another reason I don't. And, uh, and, and three, I don't have a lot of self-control when it comes to Egg McMuffins. In fact, I have never gotten enough Egg McMuffins. My desire for Egg McMuffins has never been satisfied. I have, I, one time I went to the McDonald's in Greer and I bought three Egg McMuffins. And I ate three Egg McMuffins back to back. And when I got done, I could have eaten a fourth one. And I contemplated going and, and getting a fourth one. And I've, I've joked with Sherry that one day I'm going to take like 50 bucks in a McDonald's and I'm just going to start eating Egg McMuffins until I can't eat anymore. But I probably won't do that. But, but, but my desire for Egg McMuffins has never been fulfilled. It's, it's, never, it's never been satisfied. Now, what does that have to do with the judgment of God? Here, here's the deal. When the Passover happened and a lamb was slaughtered, the judgment of God was not satisfied yet. The wrath of God was not satisfied. When, when the Israelites would go to the temple every year, and they would, there would be just thousands of them coming, and they'd all have lambs with them, and the priests would, would kill all of those lambs, and then the priest would go into a place they called the Holy of Holies, and he would pray for the, for the forgiveness of the sins of all the people of Israel. Even with all of those lambs being killed, the judgment of God was still not satisfied. The only way the judgment of God was going to be completely satisfied and, and, and the complete payment of sin was going to be taken care of was when Jesus died on the cross. So when Jesus told them the night before he died, when he said, this is my blood of the covenant... See, they had been involved in a covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. And they had an agreement with God. The Israelites did a long time ago. And, and, and what was at the core of that agreement was the law, keeping all these rules and, and sacrificing these animals. But Jesus said, this is a new covenant. And I'm, I'm telling you that, 
that this is, this is wine in this cup, but tomorrow I'm going to spill my blood. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. I'm going to hang up there naked and I'm going to have a crown of thorns on my head and I'm going to be bleeding and I'm going to look so bad that you're going to want to turn your heads away from me. And it's that blood that I'm going to shed tomorrow that is going to satisfy the judgment of God for the final time. That's what's going to happen. And you know what's amazing about that? Is that when you look back through the Old Testament, and Donnie talked about this a little bit last week, when you look back through the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament was leading to that moment. I told you a while ago, the law was pointing them to the Messiah. The law was pointing them to Jesus. Not only the law was. In the, in the Garden of Eden, when they committed the first sin, and then they realized all of a sudden, we ain't got no clothes on, right? They had never noticed that before. What an awesome way to live, by the way. If you could just walk around nude and nobody cared. But, but when, they, when they committed that first sin, when they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, they looked down and they realized, we're naked. We don't, or, or naked, probably because they weren't from the South. And, uh, and we don't have any clothes on. We need to be covered. And what does it say in the Scripture that God did? God covered them with animal skins, meaning that some animal had to lose its life. Some animal had its throat slit and the blood had to be spilled. And even then, God used spilling of blood and death to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. Then you move on to Abraham. And Abraham's got a son named Isaac. And he's the child of the promise. And God says, I want you to go out and I want you to kill that boy. I know I gave him to you, but I want you to lay him on an altar. I want you to take a knife and I want you to kill him. That's what I want you to do. So Abraham says, all right, I don't understand this, but I'm going to go do it. And seconds before, he's about to bring the knife down and kill his son Isaac. What do they find? What do they hear behind them? They hear that there's a rustling and, and some briars behind them. And they go back there and there's a lamb. Not just a lamb, but a ram. A male sheep back there and that's what they use what is that pointing to that's pointing to the one day that jesus would come and he was going to be the sacrifice where we wouldn't have to kill our sons where we wouldn't have to be have the judgment of god come down on us and then you get to the passover once again what was it a sign for it was a sign for them to look to jesus exodus 12 13 look at it one more time it says this the blood will be a sign for who does it say you the blood will be a sign for you see the when i grew up in church I thought that God had to see the blood to know which houses he wasn't going to kill people in. Right? Because That's why they put the blood on. We're going to put this blood on here. Then God's going to fly through, you know, like on a, a plane of death. And he's going to look down and say, I'm killing. Oh, whoa, oh, uh, there's blood on that doorpost. Don't have to kill anybody there tonight. No, he's God. He knew which houses were Israelite houses and which houses were Egyptian houses. He didn't need to see the blood to know which house to pass over. The blood wasn't a sign for God. It was a sign for the Israelites. He said the blood is a sign for you. And it wasn't just a sign that night for them to understand about judgment. It was a sign for them to look forward a couple of thousand years to the fact that one day the true Messiah was going to come. And Jesus was going to be the final Passover lamb. You see... The judgment of God had been building since that first sin had been committed. And God didn't pour His judgment out on Adam and Eve. No, instead He covered them with the skins of animals. He didn't pour His judgment out on Abraham. Instead, He provided a ram that could be killed instead of his son killed. He didn't pour His judgment out on the Israelites. Instead, He passed over their homes and judged the Egyptians instead. But when Jesus died, 
he was going to have the entire judgment of God that had been building since the first sin had been committed in the, in the garden. And all of that judgment was going to be poured out on Jesus. And that's why, after Jesus finished the meal with the disciples, he went to a garden and he prayed all night long. And the scripture says that he prayed so, his prayers were so intense that he sweat drops of blood. The reason was, it wasn't that he was that afraid of the, the, pain, the, the physical pain he was going to have to suffer. I'm sure there was some discomfort in his heart about that. But the reason he was struggling that night and praying through that was because he was going to have the entire judgment of God from the beginning of time that had been built up. And it was going to be poured out on him, on a man who had never committed a sin. And so when Jesus Christ came, he became the final Passover lamb. And he moved us from having to depend on the law to now we could accept him and have the gospel, the good news, become part of our life. Now what does the gospel do? Well, the gospel releases man from prison to be reunited with God. The gospel releases man from prison to be reunited with God. I want to show you a picture of my dog. Or really, it's my children's dog. Here's a picture of Buddy. See Buddy there? You can even see he's got Buddy on his name tag. Buddy's got a bad eye. He's got a cataract in one eye, so that's why one of his eyes looks kind of milky there. But this is my dog, Buddy. Uh, Buddy's a, a great dog, really good dog. Um, and, and Buddy rarely does things that I don't like. But every once in a while, when we leave the house and we're gone maybe longer than we're normally gone, and see, we don't leave Buddy in a crate because... We just let him roam through the house because he's the king. And every once in a while when we're gone longer than we, we normally are, Buddy will leave things on the floor that we'll find when we get back. I think the Greek term for it is turds, I believe is what the... And um, I'm going to get in trouble with my wife for saying turds in church. I'll tell you that right now. But uh, it doesn't happen a lot. And, and, and it's not really bad when it happens, but every once in a while, they'll be there when we get home. Now, now what, what do we do to Buddy when that happens? Do I punish him? Actually, I don't. In fact, if anybody gets punished for that, it's my girls, because I'll walk in and I'll say, somebody go pick up the turds, right? And so that's, Emily or, or Grace will have to go get those, because and, and I'm not going to do it, right? So, so, so that he doesn't get punished for it. Now listen, not only does Buddy not get punished for doing that on my floors, but not only does he not get punished, but then he gets to live like a king. He sleeps in a bed. He does not sleep on the floor. He sleeps one night with one of my daughters, the next night with the other daughter, and he puts his head on the pillow next to them. And, and not only does he sleep in a bed, but he is constantly being petted and rubbed, and we talk to him like he's just the sweetest thing. And so... Buddy lives a lifestyle that no dog deserves to live. And even though he does that on my floor, he doesn't get punished. Not only does he not get punished, but he gets to live this wonderful lifestyle. Now, when the, when the Passover happened, what happened to the, to the Israelites? They were spared punishment, weren't they? The punishment that, that they deserved happened to the Egyptians, did it not? That, that we all deserve death for our sins. 
The Israelites were sinners. They deserved to be struck down. But instead of striking them down, that punishment went to the Egyptians. And, and when, when Buddy does what he does, I should pick him up and drop kick him out of the back door of my house. That's what should happen to him for doing that. But I, but I don't do that. And, and you know what, what it's called? What, what, what the term is for when, when deserved punishment is withheld? It's called mercy. And so the Israelites experienced the mercy of God when God passed over their house to go to the Egyptian houses. Now listen to this. When Jesus died on the cross, we all experience the mercy of Jesus if we accept that because we don't get the punishment for our sins. Jesus did. Jesus had no mercy given to him when he was on that cross. Absolutely none. But we experience that mercy because what we deserve for our sins is death. And I know you're thinking, well, Cliff, we all are going to die one day. No, what I'm talking about is what we deserve is the very first time you commit a sin, boom, you're out right then. That's it. That's what we deserve for our sins. But God gives us mercy. He withholds the punishment we deserve for our sins. That's part of Him saving. Now the other part is, when Buddy does that on my floor, I still he gets, he gets a better life than he ever deserves. When, when, when the Israelites, when, when God passed over the Israelites, not only did they escape punishment, but what happened to them? They got free, right? They had been slaves, and now all of a sudden they're no longer slaves. They're free. They're free to get out of the country. They're free to go and find the promised land that God had promised them. They're free to start their own country. They're free to have their own families and do what they want to do. God set them free. But most of all, they were free to begin a relationship with God again. And that's what happens for us on the cross. And that's called grace. God gives us His mercy because He doesn't give us the punishment He deserves. And then He gives us His grace because now He gives us a life that's better than any we could ever deserve. Whether you know it or not, if you haven't accepted Jesus in your life, you're a slave. You're in prison. And you're probably thinking, Cliff, it's exactly the opposite of that. Since I haven't accepted Jesus, I can do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it. Look at what 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy who was a pastor. And he's telling him, this is how you need to talk and, and do with the people that aren't followers of Jesus yet. He says, those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If you haven't accepted Christ, you haven't asked forgiveness of your sins, you're in prison. You're in a trap of the devil, and you're doing what he wants you to do. Even though you think you're living free, you're making your own decisions, if you're living a, 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 um, in a opposition to what the Scripture says, then you're living in accordance with what the devil wants you to do. You see, there is no your way. There's the way of Christ or there's the way of the devil. There's no Cliff Marshall's way. I can choose to obey what Jesus wants me to do or I can reject what Jesus wants me to do. And when I do that, I'm walking in the path that the devil would want me to walk in. You are in bondage. You are in slavery. You are in prison to sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, he withheld the punishment you deserve. And then not only did he withhold the punishment, but he made you... Uh, he made it possible for you to be free from your sin. 
And now you can have a relationship with him again. There's an awesome description in scripture of this. I told you a while ago that, that every year the, uh, the, the Israelites would have to go to the temple and they would have to take a, a lamb or some kind of animal with them and the priest would kill, kill that lamb. And then the priest, there was one, this happened once a year and there was one priest who got to do this. He would go into the very center part of the temple and that was a place that they called the Holy of Holies. Now to get in there, you had to go through several levels to get in and then there was a huge curtain that you to go into that. And it, and it was a curtain probably, you know, as big as tall as the stage here and it was thick, extremely thick. This wasn't a lace curtain that anybody could see through. And and one priest a year would go in there and and the Israelites believed that that was where the 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 essence of God was. And so this Israelite priest, he would go in there and he would make a sacrifice and he would pray and he would meet one-on-one with God. Because the Israelites didn't believe they could talk one-on-one to God. This priest had to go into this special place. And it was so important and so feared that the, the priest, before he went in, they would tie ropes to his ankles. And he would wear this, this, uh, this shirt that had bells and stuff on it. Because what would happen is they were afraid if God kills him when he's in there, then we go in to get him, he's going to kill us too because no one's supposed to go in but this one priest. So they put ropes on his ankles so if he dropped dead, they could pull him out without having to go in. That's how serious they took this. And you know what the scripture says happened when, when Jesus died? When Jesus died on the cross and so he accepted the full judgment of God, look what it says happened in Matthew 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up his spirit. So Jesus is dead on the cross. And look at this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus took the full judgment of God on him, he made a way where we could be saved. And the curtain of that temple was torn open. And then the pathway to God was open to anyone who accepts the cross and resurrection at that moment. If you accept what Jesus did on the cross, if you believe that he rose again from the dead, then you can have a one-on-one relationship with God. You can go to God yourself and ask for forgiveness of your sins. Not because you deserve it, not because you're any better than than the Israelites were, but because you trust in the fact that Jesus shed blood that he is the new Passover lamb. Now, um, I'm going to ask Liz to come up here in a minute. We're gonna, I'm going to have a time for you to respond in just a minute. But while she's doing that, I understand that what we've talked about this month can be hard to, to grasp. God is mysterious. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not interested in worshiping a God that I can completely 100% understand because I'm not the smartest guy in the world and if I can completely understand him he's not that great of a God God is a mysterious God it's mysterious to me how God can be love but also he judges it's mysterious to me how God has wrath that has to be poured out on sin but at the same time he gives us mercy and he gives us grace It's hard for me to grasp all of that, and I know it probably is hard for you as well. But what I want you to know today is this. 
God saves. God can save you from whatever sin you've committed. Your sin is going to send you to hell. It's going to. Because that's the punishment for sin. And although Jesus has already paid the price for sin, if you don't accept that, then you're going to pay the price for your own sin when you leave this place. And you're going to spend eternity in a place where you will pay the price for that sin day after day after day without end. But I want you to know that God saves. God saves from every sin. He saves from the darkest sin you could have committed. He saves from sins that that you become addicted to. He saves from sin no matter how long you've been doing it. God saves you from sin. He saves you from the punishment you deserve and then He will give you a life that's better than you could have ever had before and you can be reunited with Him. I want to show you my dog one more time and tell you how the story of Buddy kind of ends. When, um, when Buddy first came to live with us, he was a puppy, and then when he got bigger, Buddy would run off every chance he got. We couldn't hardly open the front door of the house, and he would spot a squirrel or a kid or just a tree. It didn't matter. He was gone out the door. And I'd have to run out and chase him down. And there were times that I had to dive and catch him. And now he did get his tail beat for that. I would beat the daylights out of him on the way back to the house for that. But, um, but he, he would run off every chance he got. Every chance he got, he'd run out the door. But you know what now? You come to my house. We open the door. Buddy's going to run out to greet you. But he's going to turn around and he's going to come right back in the house. I can go sit on the front porch, sit on one of my rocking chairs. Buddy can come out there with me. He'll sit right there by my side. Kids will walk up and down the street, and he'll stay right there with me. Because at some point in his life, Buddy has accepted the fact that life in the Marshall House is pretty doggone good. And life in the Marshall House is where he's supposed to be. Now, don't miss this. And if you've been in church your whole life, don't think this doesn't apply to you. The punishment that Jesus took on the cross, the grace that God offers you, you don't get to have it unless you accept that it's for you. And some of you are chasing everything you can get your eyes on. You're chasing, that door cracks open just a little bit and you'll chase money to bring you happiness. You'll chase women or men to bring you happiness. You'll chase... Raising your children to bring you happiness. That's your whole life. You'll chase fame and success. You're going to chase all these different things thinking that's what's going to bring you happiness. And you need to accept the fact that the only place you're going to find out and become who God wants you to be and the only place you're going to be forgiven of sin and and not experience the judgment God has for you is right there in the grace of Jesus, accepting what He did for you on the cross. And if you're a person that's been to church your whole life and you're thinking you're going to show up and knock on heaven's door and say, hey, I never missed church. I even volunteered and helped set things up at this weird church that met at a high school back in Greer, South Carolina. I, did, I led life groups. I did this. I did that. You're thinking you're going to walk in and say that and, and Jesus is going to say, oh, I didn't realize you were so holy. Come on in. That's just like the Israelites 
depending on the law to save them. It's not going to save you. Only Jesus, the punishment that He took, accepting that for yourself, is going to save you. So this is what we're going to do. I want to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask uh, Donnie and Blake if they'll come down here and stand at the front. We've talked this whole month about God and who God is. And now is the time for you to make a decision. If you know that you need to accept the grace of God for yourself, you need to accept what Jesus did on the cross, I want you to come down and I want you to talk to one of these guys. Or you can just come down and kneel down and pray. It's fine with me. But I want you to make a move and to come out of your seat. Because, yeah, you can do it on your own. That's fine. But I think that there's some of you here today that you think you got it all together. And the first step for you is going to be humbling yourself enough to step out and say, I need Jesus. Now, maybe you would stand here today and you'd say, I don't know, I'm not really sure. But something feels a little funny inside of me. I thought I had it all together, and now I'm wondering if I do. You come on and talk to one of these guys. Liz is going to start playing now, and I'm going to pray for us. And when I'm done uh, praying, I'm just going to sit down, and we're going to wait a little bit and, uh, and, and give you an opportunity to come and make a decision. So let's pray. Father God, I am thankful that you save us, that you don't uh, make us pay the penalty for our own sin because it's too much for us to bear. And Lord, I pray today for anyone that's here that's struggling and trying to figure out if they have a relationship with you or not. Lord, I pray there would be no one here that would trust in anything other than the blood shed on the cross to save them. They wouldn't trust in church attendance or making money or anything else, but they would trust in you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You come now if God leads you to. Accept Him as your Savior.